Acts chapter 8, verse 26, the Bible reads like this, says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Uh, this is desert. So he arose and he went. Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him, and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he said, do you understand what you were reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place in which the scripture which he was reading was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture, at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. And now as he went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is some water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all of your heart, you may. And he answered and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Ozatus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Father, thank you for your word and this scripture tonight. Make it come alive to us in a, special, in a fresh and a special way tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, as I said a moment ago, good evening, everybody. And tonight, I want to I take a few moments and talk to you out of Acts, the eighth chapter, from the subject, the truth about evangelism. The truth about evangelism. Soul winning. Everybody say soul winning. Now, that, that phrase can oftentimes be frightening to some people because the very idea of, of boldly or demonstratively talking to somebody, especially a stranger, is nerve-wracking. And it can rattle our, our cage. So the question is, is this the job of every believer? And I believe the answer to that question tonight is emphatically yes. I would surmise to you that it's called the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion. Amen. The Great Commission and not the Great Suggestion. Matthew 28, Jesus told his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He told them to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And in Mark 16, Jesus kind of reiterates that. He says, go into all the world, preach the gospel uh, to every creature. He who believes and baptized shall be saved. He that does not believe shall be condemned. Then, of course, he goes on and talks about the signs that follow the preaching of the word. You know, my name, they shall cast out devils, speak with new tongues, etc., etc., lay hands on the sick. And so we see the ministry of proclamation or soul winning is something that is vitally important 
throughout all the scripture. Yet, I have to be honest with you, in my years of pastoring, both in youth and adult settings, I have encountered people who have, who have literally told me, that is not my job. Seriously, I've had Christians tell me, because I asked them, and I ask people from time to time, how many people have you led to the Lord? Now, let me just stop and say something right quick. It's really not our responsibility if they accept or not, but it is our responsibility to try, right? And so not winning anybody and you tried is acceptable. Not trying at all is unacceptable. And so occasionally I'll ask people, how many people have you won to the Lord? I recently asked um, a young person who's studying for ministry. I said, how many people have you won to Christ? And they said, nobody. And I said, well, if you only are studying to preach and teach, you've missed the point. Because one of the facets of preaching is winning the lost. Yes, there's an aspect of preaching and teaching that's discipleship and and whatnot. I understand that. But the Bible also says that it's through the foolishness of preaching that men are saved. And I think sometimes that when we say preaching, we always think it's back here. But really, in actuality, the word to preach simply means to proclaim. And all of us have a responsibility to proclaim the gospel to the world around us. The truth is, is that all of us are called to win souls. But um, I can't believe that. Yeah, actually, one person said, she's, they, they told me, they said, I'm not called to win souls. I'm called to pray. Well, I got news for you. We're all called to pray. There's no spiritual gift of prayer. It's not in the Bible. We've made intercessor a, a five-fold ministry gift, and it's not in there. All of us are supposed to pray. All of us are supposed to intercede. All of us are supposed to share our faith. Now, you may be asking tonight, well, what about the gift of evangelists? Well, yes, there is a, a, a ministry function of evangelist. But that is um, a person, you see those in the scripture, they are called by God to, yes, to win souls, but to equip the church in such a manner to win souls. And so tonight we're going to look at practically what it is God is calling us to do to win people. Because the truth of the matter is our time is running out. I don't know if you know this, but the time, the clock is ticking. It is absolutely ticking, and, and Jesus sincerely could come at any moment. I mean, that's, that's an amazing thing, but let me tell you, the Bible says that he's going to wipe away the, the tears from our eyes. That's what the Bible says in the book of Revelation, and I believe that part of that is because some of us are going to be sad when we realize what we could have had and what we should have had if we just would have did what God told us to do. Folks, there is a great harvest all around us. Jesus said, don't say some months until the harvest. He said, lift lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They're already white for the harvest. There are people who are just simply waiting to come into contact with Jesus Christ. And I love the way Solomon said it in Proverbs, he that wins souls is wise. The scripture even goes on to say that there's a a soul winner's crown for those who turn people to Christ. It's an amazing thing when we serve God and we share our faith with other people. So tonight, I want to just continue to go in the book of Acts and show you a couple of things. Because I believe there are no shortage of people who need to be saved. 
Amen? There are no shortage of people who need to be saved. And some of you tonight, you may feel ill-equipped. You may say, I don't know where to start. And tonight, that's the truth about evangelism that I want to share with you. Because I would hate for there to be people in this room who you've been in church all your life and you've never won anybody to Christ. That would be tragic. Amen? Now, I know it gets quiet, but I don't expect people to talk in the middle of surgery. Amen? Uh, But it would be tragic to stand before the Lord and not have any soul-winning jewels in your crown and, and, and yeah, you're saved and you made it to heaven, but all you have to show for it is you just went to church. Amen. God wants us to win souls to the kingdom. So let's look at Acts chapter 8. We see some interesting things. Um, so looking at Acts chapter number 8, the highlighted person that we're looking at is a man by the name of Philip. Everybody say Philip. Philip was a faithful servant and a witness of Jesus Christ. And again, like last week, like with Stephen, I find it interesting that Philip was not an apostle. He was not an evangelist. He was not a teacher, a prophet, or a pastor. Once again, and I think the Lord is trying to emphasize something to us, uh, this man, Philip, was a deacon. He was one of the original 12 that God had called to serve the church and wait on the widows and make sure that they had food and distribution and all of those things. And so what did we learn last week and the week before, Acts chapter 6, when the the deacons were established uh, in the early church, they were of good reputation, full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, means they were already involved in their church. They were already uh, committed to serving God. They were already busy. See, I personally believe God calls people who are already busy. Just one amen, I'll take it. It'd be better in in a lot of church worlds, and we don't have that problem here, but I've served in churches before where uh, they were more concerned if the deacon ran a business or they were more concerned uh, if a deacon had popularity in town. Uh, I'm more concerned if a deacon serves the Lord. Amen. Uh, Hallelujah. That's what's more important. People say, well, we're just going to make somebody a deacon and hopefully they'll get busy. If they're not busy before you make them one, they won't be busy after you make them one. Amen. It's the truth. So it's important. That's why the selection process was so vitally important. But you see Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Now we see Philip in Acts chapter 8. And what I'm trying to paint the picture of tonight is that these men weren't the superstar apostles that we would say that were prime, front, and center. These were the guys at the quote-unquote soup kitchen making sure the ladies and the men had food, uh, the widows rather, had food in the daily distribution. So what we're going to see is that God used Philip supernaturally. And I believe that if God used Philip, God wants to use you. I believe he wants to use you. And so... By divine visitation, he is minding his own business. And we read in Acts chapter 8 that an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and gave him divine instruction. The angel literally told him where to go. And as he began to walk, he began to show him things. And the Holy Spirit led him to a divine encounter. See, I believe that God wants to position us in our lives, maybe not every single day, but there are moments in our lives where God wants to give us divine encounters with people. And our eyes have to be open and our ears have to be open to be able to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And so tonight, I want to I look at that. So let's look at our passage tonight and see 
what we can learn about evangelism. Look again with me at Acts chapter 8, verse 20, 26, 27, and 28. Let's read it. It says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert. It's true. I've been there. And then he arose and he went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning, and he was sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. The very first thing tonight that I want to tell you about the truth about evangelism, number one, is that the Holy Spirit will lead you. The Holy Spirit will lead you. He absolutely will lead us in every aspect of our lives. Philip was going about his business, and the Holy Spirit, through angelic visitation and later through the Holy Spirit speaking to him, led him specifically to a man. Do you know that in your life, God will, if you will listen to him, he will lead you to the right places. And I think one of the reasons why it was so emphasized that these men be filled with the Holy Spirit is because we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not just so we have good church. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that our everyday life makes impact. The Holy Spirit will lead us. Why is he leading us? Because there are people who need to hear the message. So I believe tonight that all of us, myself included, owe it to ourselves to ask ourselves, are we too busy or are we too distracted to hear his voice? Are we too busy or are we too distracted to hear his voice? You know, I'm going to be honest with you tonight. We live in, a, in such a technological generation, and I'm just as guilty as anybody that, that there is um, absolutely in most of our lives for God to speak to us, he has to scream at us over so many things. There's no dead space in our lives. You know, uh, you're in the car, you're listening to something. You're, you're walking around and you're halfway walking and you're halfway on your phone. Or you're walking around and you're listening to something in your earbuds. And, and, and so the Holy Spirit has to scream a lot of times over things. But the question we really do have to wrestle is, are we distracted from hearing God's voice? Because the truth is, is that there are people who need to be saved. But we often forget that, yes, God can save people apart from you and my intervention, but the primary way that God saves people is through people, it's through relationship, it's through the preaching of the gospel. You say, well, I don't know about that. Well, Paul did. He said, how will they hear without a preacher? Somebody has to share the gospel. And so in order for you to get to where you need to go, you need to be led by the Holy Spirit. So we need to ask ourselves, are we too busy or are we too distracted to hear his voice? So I'm convinced that if all of us will make a conscious effort to say, Holy Spirit, lead me today. Guide my steps. Order my steps. Help me not to be too busy. 
Help me to pass by somebody in Walmart who needs prayer. Help me to run into somebody at the post office who needs to encounter you. Help me to sit by somebody on the airplane or, or at the uh, amusement park. Help me, Whatever I'm doing in my day-to-day life, Holy Spirit, lead me. And I believe that if you're sincere in that, the Holy Spirit will set you up for encounters to share your faith with others. So important. I want to go a little bit further tonight because I believe it's important. I want you to look at verse number 29, and we're going to look down through 31. It says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake the chariot. Now, I want you to understand something. This Ethiopian man was a Gentile, number one. And number two, he was a eunuch, which meant that he was a grown-up who, for lack of better term, had been castrated. They do that for several reasons. But he had been castrated, literally, and he was guarding this queen, all of her treasury. So he was a a person that was either, I would say, influential or close to somebody who's extremely influential and uh, uh, close to a person of prominence. And there's something going on in his heart that is causing him to hunger. And he just so happens to be sitting there reading, and the Holy Spirit tells Philip, Go and overtake the chariot. And so Philip ran, verse uh, 30. So Philip ran, and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah saying, and he said, do you understand what you are reading? Now, how many of you know that's important? Do you understand what you are reading? And then so what did he say? He went on from there, and he said, look here with me. It says, um, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place in which the scripture was, he read, was he was as a sheep led to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opened up his mouth and in humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life was taken from the earth? And then the Holy Spirit or the eunuch asked, um, who is this prophet talking about, himself or some other man? Now, this is important because, first of all, there are several things that I can really just drive home in this passage. Um, first of all, as we're looking through this, one of the things that I see is very prominent, very prominent thing, is that the Holy Spirit, point number two, prepares the way. If you ask the Holy Spirit to lead you, he will prepare the way. Do you know, uh, whenever I go to preach, whenever I go to teach, even here, when I go to Africa, when I'm getting on a plane uh, to travel somewhere, I always say, Holy Spirit, go before me and prepare the hearts of the people. Prepare the hearts of the people. And isn't it interesting that Philip was available He was listening to the Holy Spirit. He was being obedient to the voice of God. And at the same time, afar off in another place, there's an Ethiopian man who, I don't know if you know this, but Ethiopians are not just black. They're black, black. He is the opposite of a Jew. He's a Gentile. He's a eunuch, for one. That's kind of a stigma in the culture. And he's by himself in a desert, out of the way, in a place that nobody's, you know, he's the only one around. It's just a desert wilderness. And yet he's sitting there with spiritual hunger 
in his heart. And he just happens to open the Bible and he's reading Isaiah the 53rd chapter. Reading about Jesus, the suffering Messiah. The passages right before this are the famous passages that we quote all the time concerning healing and the atonement. You know, he was wounded for our transgression. These, these are the verses that this Ethiopian is reading pre, uh, prior, previous to that. And he's reading down and he's reading about how Jesus was like a lamb led to the slaughterhouse who did not open his mouth and how he was, his life was taken from the earth and he was given as a sacrifice. And this man is sitting here and he's pondering the scripture. He's the seeker. Everybody say a seeker. He is somebody who's sincerely seeking out the way. Do you know that there are probably people connected to you who are seeking? You probably have family members who are seeking. You probably have coworkers who are seeking. And do you know that the Holy Spirit knows how to connect the dots? He knows how to put you in the right place at the right time to be able to speak a word of salvation into somebody's life so that they can receive Christ. It's so important. It's so important. This is the true definition of a seeker. So another thing we see here, like this Ethiopian, uh, it's impossible to know about God but to not really know him. There are some Christians would have said, oh, he's reading the Bible. I guess he's probably saved. Well, knowing the Bible doesn't make you saved. This man clearly did not understand what it was that he was reading. So it was important. Here's another thing that I see. There was, there was a, a person, famous person, famous preacher, famous TV preacher, who made a statement uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago on national television on his program. He said, and I quote, we should unhook our faith from the Old Testament. And he basically was discouraging Christians from even looking at or gleaning from or reading the Old Testament. Well, let me tell you something. That's all they had at this time. And if Philip didn't know the Old Testament, he wouldn't have been able to help this man. So listen, we learn from the Old Testament. We, we don't, we're not under the... the the laws, all of those 631 laws that they were under in the Old Testament, but we, we're under the, the Ten Commandments, essentially, is the moral law, and Jesus even boiled those down into two, love God, love your neighbor. But listen, the Holy Spirit began to set up the pieces of the puzzle for this man to have an encounter with God. So it's important. So we got to make sure we don't confuse knowledge for conversion. Here's the next thing we see, the truth about evangelism. Look at verse number 32 with me. So in verse number 32, here's what it says. It says, it was the place in the scripture which he said, he was as a sheep led to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent. He opened up his mouth and in humiliation his justice was taken away and who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. And so the eunuch answered Philip and asked, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at the Scripture, preached Jesus to him. And now as they went down the road, they came to the, some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And then Philip said, If you believe with all of your heart, you may. And he answered, and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
So here's, here's a couple of things. Let's recap for a moment. First of all, number one, the truth about evangelism is that the Holy Spirit will lead us. The second thing is that the Holy Spirit will prepare the way. He will always prepare the way in front of us. But here's the third thing about evangelism. You ready? Number three, the gospel must be presented. There's no such thing as evangelism without the gospel. Now, People are well-meaning. There's a quote that's floating around. It's an old quote. One of the uh, early people from the early days said it. They said, uh, uh, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. That's, that's dumb. It's absolutely dumb. That's the dumbest thing a human being has ever uttered. Because you can't preach the gospel without proclaiming the gospel. Now, the heart of that quote was, was uh, I think that was uh, Thomas Aquinas who quoted that. Uh, I could be mistaken. But the heart of that was, let your actions speak louder with, than your words. And, and to a degree, I understand what he's saying. Our lives should proclaim the gospel. The problem is, is in that today's society, by the seeker, what we would call the seeker-sensitive movement, which, by the way, there, there's, uh, that, that whole thing has collapsed on its head. It's produced a generation of weak, Bible illiterate Christians who don't have enough power to blow the fuzz off of a peanut, but that's a whole other story. But it's to preach a feel-good message, remove the blood, remove the name of Jesus, don't talk about sin or anything like that. God loves everybody, shirah, shirah, everybody's going to heaven, go home. And, and that's just not the gospel. And, and people painted this picture of, well, you know, you don't have to really preach and you don't really have to talk about sin. You don't really have to do any of that. You just just live right in front of people. Just live right in front of them. Just, just you know, treat your wife right in front of them. Just treat your kids right in front of them. You know, just live a moral, outstanding life. The problem with that is my life's not good enough to save anybody. There's only one person who died whose life was good enough to save anybody. And his name was Jesus Christ. Now get this. This man is sitting here in a, in a moment of seeking with all of his heart, reading literally about the atonement of Christ, about Jesus being carried away to the cross. And he says, I don't understand this, Philip. Who is he talking about? And you know what the Bible says? We just read it. And starting from this scripture... He preached Jesus unto them. So you know what Philip did? This is literally what that means. Philip gave this man who had an understanding of the Old Testament a type and shadow lesson of Jesus through the ages. And then he brought him up to the cross. And this man made a confession. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, isn't that awesome? Oh, hallelujah. I think it's awesome. The gospel has to be presented, and it has to be presented plainly. Yes, the Holy Spirit can save someone through some dream or whatever. It's happened before, but, but that's, that's, the, that's the exception and not the rule. The precedent we have set in Scripture is by the proclamation of the gospel. And that's why I think it's so important that all of us know how to explain the gospel in a simple way. Jesus came. He was sinless. He died on a cross for our sins. Three days, he was in a borrowed tomb. And, and he rose again from the third day. on the third day. Most people 
don't know, they know the gospel, but they don't know how to adequately present it. And even if they do, they're not sharing it. I shared with you some, some statistics several weeks ago in my message that I was sharing with you. And I talked about how uh, George Barna said about how many billions of dollars people spent on different things at, in, the, in the height of the pandemic. 79-something billion dollars on pet supplies and pet food. $12.8 billion on Halloween candy. All of these things, while yet like 5% of, of average churchgoers actually tithe 10% of their income. Now, if you think that number was shocking, you ought to see the numbers on how many people share their faith on a consistent basis. Awful quiet in here. But if you walked around with the cure of cancer in your pocket and you didn't have it, to, and you had it, and you wouldn't share it with anybody, you ought to be hung from the highest building to not help humanity. People dying with cancer every day, and you, you can keep them from the chemo. You can keep them from the radiation. Just one drop would help them to, 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 to actually be healed. And yet you and I have something greater than anything like that. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is the answer to sin. It is the only answer. And it, the scripture is still the same, and the song goes on, and it testifies, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. We're not saved by our life. We're saved by his death and his resurrection. So we got to present the gospel to people. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul said, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So important. Here's the fourth thing that I want to share with you tonight in closing. Verse 39 says, uh, well, let me back up actually to, to verse uh, number 37 here because, or actually verse number 36, because there's a, there's a doctrinal nugget here we need to catch. Verse 36, it says, now as they went down the road, they came to some water. Now you've got to understand they're in a desert. They're in a place where there's not naturally a lot of water. But yet, this man is just saved. He just confessed Christ. He just understood the gospel. And now he has a desire to get baptized. In a place where there is no water, he'll make a way in the wilderness. As he went down the road, they came to some water. And notice what the eunuch said. See, here is water. What hinders me? From being baptized. Look at the next verse. And uh, I love, then Philip said, If you believe with all of your heart, you may. See, I never understood why we have to have an eight week class on water baptism. When the eunuch said, What do I have to do to be baptized? And he said, Just believe with all your heart. We make things so much harder than they need to be. Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Look at the next verse. And so he commanded the chariot to be still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And now when they came up out of the water, 
the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. Go back to verse, uh, the previous verse one more time. Notice this. It says in the last part, it says they went down. Everybody say they went down. Now go to verse 39, and notice it says, and when they came up, say they came up. This tells us something very important about water baptism. Water baptism from the beginning of the, the, the practice on, which by the way, water baptism has its origin uh, uh, Christian, I should say, Christian water baptism has its origin in Jewish tradition in the mikvah baths outside of the synagogue where they would do ceremonial washing. John the Baptist was of the Essene tribe and, uh, which lived out in the Qumran desert and John was a Baptist because the Qumrans believed in ceremonial cleansing and they would cleanse themselves uh, ceremonially before they went in to minister uh, in the you know before the Lord and stuff and so I want you to notice this it says they went down into the water and then they got caught up out of the water I want to make a couple of points really clear tonight doctrinally number one uh, baptism does not save you baptism does not save you it, it, baptism is something we do after we're saved that identifies us with Christ, his death, burial, and his resurrection, and, and identifies us with Christ's priesthood. I've taught on that before. Uh, but also, you've got to realize this, that baptism, the word baptized, baptismo in the Greek, it, it means to be immersed. To be immersed. It, it means to be fully surrounded and fully covered. Can I give you a nugget? You can't go down and come up out of a Dixie cup. This sprinkling stuff, somebody made that up. Now, baptism doesn't save us, but baptism in any biblical account was immersion. It was immersion. And we've, we've cheapened it to christening or just sprinkling, but baptism by Scripture is immersion. And I think it's interesting that the Holy Spirit tells us that they went down and then they came up. Both of them were wet, and they came up out of the water. And when this man was baptized, notice what the next verse says. It says, and the Holy Spirit caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Next verse. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities, and he came to Caesarea. So we have Philip, the preaching deacon, baptizing people, and he was supernaturally translated by the Lord. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know what it happened, but I do know the Scripture says, now you see me, now you don't. The Holy Spirit caught him up and took him away. Now, I, I want to I finalize on this point. I'm a few minutes over, but let me just give this to you. Here's point number four, the truth about evangelism. You ready for this? Small crowds are as important as big crowds. Small crowds are as important as big crowds. When you think of evangelism, you might think of the big mass crusades of Billy Graham with this tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. You might think of the late, great Reinhard Bonnke, how cool it would be to lead over a million people to Christ at one time, like his big crusade in Lagos, Nigeria. However, we're rewarded by our obedience, not by our number. Whoo, some of y'all missed a good spot because it's not a competition. It's really not. We're rewarded by our obedience, not by our count. But there are some people who are only attracted to the big. They're only attracted to the shiny. 
They're only attracted to the big number, the big crusade, the big altar call. But let me tell you, one person is just as valuable as 10,000 people in the eyes of God. And guess what? This Ethiopian who was a eunuch, who was a Gentile, who was not a, you know, kind of outcast kind of in society, the Holy Spirit... Jesus thought so much of him that he was worthy to hear the gospel and be saved, that he was, he was worthy enough to, to, to be preached to so that he would not have to live an eternally separated life in hell. The Holy Spirit took one available person and, and put him where he needed to be. Small crowds are just as important as big crowds. The one life was touched by Jesus, but let me tell you this, and I'm closing. Only eternity will tell how many people were touched by that one person. Because the Bible says he left away happy and rejoicing. And I just have a, a, a hankering suspicion tonight that much like the woman at the well, this man went and told somebody about a man named Jesus. And you know, that's really the appropriate response when you encounter Jesus is to tell other people about Jesus. That's why I don't understand why we don't. So I want to encourage each and every one of us tonight to make a fresh commitment to be led by the Holy Spirit. Now listen, pastor's not asking you to stand on a street corner unless the Lord tells you to do that. I'm not asking you to lay tracks on the back of the urinal at Walmart. People do that. I don't think it's very effective. But if the Holy Spirit tells you to do that, knock your socks off. I'm not telling you to do any of that. But what I am asking you to do is to make a conscious effort, a conscious decision to be led by the Holy Spirit into conversations that can lead to salvation. Don't be afraid to pull the trigger. If you get rejected, so what? Some plant, some water. Others, you know, God gives the increase. Sometimes we get to plant and harvest. But don't be discouraged because you know what they might tell you no. They might tell the next person no. They might tell the third person yes. And you get just as much credit in heaven for that soul coming to Christ as the person who got to harvest it out of the ground because you helped in the process. So understand, in my closing conclusion tonight, I believe the book of Acts chapter 8 gives us a, a, a vital insight into the importance and the fervency of evangelism. This man needed to hear, and one person wasn't too inconvenient for the Lord to move heaven and earth to get somebody to where he needed to be. That gives me hope. Two reasons. First of all, if somebody's seeking the Lord, they will find him. The scripture says, you will, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart. God was faithful to this Ethiopian. It also gives me hope because when people like Philip, people like you and me are open to the Lord and we just say, yes, Lord, we're, we're, we're welcome to, to, to have you lead us wherever you will take us. If we'll just get still and we'll listen, the Holy Spirit will tell you where to go. And close your Bibles and, and put them beside you. I remember this story, and I really am done tonight, several years ago, probably four years ago. No, it would have been six years ago now. I was at my previous church in Arkansas visiting one of our members in the nursing home, and I was, I was getting ready to leave, and the Holy Spirit, I walked by a room, and the Holy Spirit said, go in that room. 
And I'm thinking, dear Lord, I don't even know who those people are. He said, go in that room. And I, I remember walking into that room and leading that man to the Lord. He was ready. He was, he was thinking about it. He was talking about it. And he was ready. You know, God can do that for you. God can do that for you. Now, not every single moment is a divine setup moment. I mean, you're going to just encounter people everywhere you go. And we ought to talk about Jesus everywhere we go. But there are going to be some moments that are divinely orchestrated where the window is so wide open that the Holy Spirit gives you an inroad to share the gospel with somebody. I pray you have that experience this week. I think that the Lord will set it up if you're sincere. Let's pray. Would you?